Welcome to Setsing. Could you please talk about jealousy? Jealousy is a, a primal protective program um, that helps the species survive. It protects the children. It keeps people together. Uh, so it's natural. It's not an unnatural phenomenon. It's a very natural phenomenon. And it keeps people together. It protects the children, it protects the species. But in human beings, jealousy uh, creates separation, creates violence. Well, itself doesn't create violence, but violence can occur as a result of it. And so it's seen as one of the seven deadly sins. It can be overridden. You can make it okay for people to be the way they are rather than uh, support jealousy. As you grow in consciousness, you realize that you can't really own another person or another person's sexuality. And that even the idea of owning another person or another person's sexuality is abhorrent. But in lower consciousness, people get jealous and they act out on their jealousy, basically because they're unconscious and they hurt each other and they cause rifts in their relationships. Sometimes they totally destroy their relationships with jealousy. It's called the green-eyed monster. Sometimes envy and jealousy sometimes go hand in hand. Look at it from a perspective of higher consciousness. It's just something you don't want to ever support because it does need support. The feelings of jealousy, which is quite often combined with a feeling of betrayal of some kind, step in. And instead of standing back and making it okay, there's a reaction. And the reaction could be to pull away uh, or could be to attack, it could be to freeze, could be a few different things. But instead of supporting the reaction, how about just making it all okay? How about just accepting that this is how life actually is? In support of jealousy, we're in support of separation, we're in support of lower consciousness, and we're in support of creating wounding in ourselves. And so there's no upside to jealousy really, except in the survival stakes, nature stakes, where we may get protective of our family or our partner and so propagate and prolong the species, which is why that particular program is there. It's up to you as to what you do with jealousy, because I think all human beings would suffer it, but it doesn't need to be supported. We don't need to support the reaction that may occur as a result of the feeling of jealousy. We can be accepting of life as it is. We can be accepting of our partner. We can be accepting of other people. We don't have to support the reactions. Another opportunity to practice openness, to practice acceptance, another opportunity to practice higher consciousness. But that's going to be up to you. You may not be in a relationship, so there may be no jealousy in your life. Uh, that's, that's cool. There's lots of other things that'll come up that you can uh, learn to accept and practice acceptance, practice openness. But I think one of the last things we should support is jealousy. It's just destructive. There's no, no building bridges while we're supporting that, just burning them. Someone has a look at your partner and they have an admiration for them. Well, that's okay. It's probably why you got interested in them. It's okay. The moment we decide to make everything okay, to be in acceptance of life as it is, 
is the moment we start becoming free. Up to you. Any questions? Any statements? Any challenges to this teaching today? We have a question. Is jealousy a choice? No. Jealousy arises uh, as a primal program, like fear. It just arises very suddenly, but we do have a choice as to whether we react or not. So we don't have a choice at, at that jealousy comes, but we definitely have a choice uh, whether we react or not. And that's going to be up to you because that reaction will then need your support or not. And you can either support it or not. That way you do have choice. Why do some people get more jealous than others? Because they support it and others don't. Whatever we support is going to grow. It's a bit like uh, if, you got, if you've got a couple of wolves, whichever one you feed is going to get fatter. It's going to get bigger. The people who support jealousy, well, obviously will show up as being more jealous because they're in support of it. Those who don't support it will show up as less jealous. The other side of it, of course, is um, we may be looking at someone and we think, oh, they should be jealous because their partner's doing this, this, and this. But what? how do we know what's going on in their minds? Maybe they just don't care. <laughs> Maybe it's nothing to do with jealousy. Maybe it's to do with they just don't care. But we love to project onto everything that we know what's happening when we really don't. Sometimes I find myself wanting my partner to be jealous. What makes me measure how much my partner cares about me by their jealousy? Hmm. It makes you feel cared for if your partner's jealous. Wow, that's pretty primitive. <laughs> so you want your partner to suffer so you can feel cared for. Because whenever someone actually experiences jealousy and supports it themselves, they're actually hurting themselves. And what you're saying to me is that you want your partner to hurt themselves so you can feel uh, cared for. That's not very loving. Is there a relationship between jealousy and love? None. Jealousy is of the mind, <clears throat> primal program to protect the relationship, protect the species. Love is not of the mind, it's real. Love is the most beautiful thing, it's real. And it's here, it's just that quite often not perceived by people because they're too closed. I imagine someone who's jealous would be very closed, particularly if they're supporting that jealousy. So they probably wouldn't be perceiving a great deal of love at that time. People quite often confuse love with uh, aspects of the mind. Love just loves. It doesn't actually do anything else. It just loves and it's beautiful. Jealousy belongs to the mind. Is jealousy a sign that I'm lacking self-confidence? No, it's a sign that you're supporting it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, everyone, everyone will get jealous, but whether you support it or not, it's your, your choice. Um, if you're not supporting jealousy, brilliant. If you are supporting jealousy, well, you're going to suffer and uh, probably try and hurt someone else to bring them into uh, a controlled space that you prefer. And uh, you might call this love, but it's not love. It's actually you manipulating and controlling so you feel safe. Jealousy feels very overwhelming sometimes. Do you have any tips for how to deal with it in the moment? Don't support it. 
see, <clears throat> the question's asked in, in a way that the person who's asked the question sounds like they're helpless. You're not helpless. You're the one that's created the jealousy and you're the one that can actually support it or not support it. Coming across as helpless is ridiculous. <laughs> You've made yourself a victim of your own jealousy. You're the one that's going to support it. Nobody else. It's up to you. Presenting yourself as helpless is silly. It's not real. My partner is very possessive and jealous. How do I help him without letting him control all my movements? My experience with other people's jealousy is that I actually feel a lot of empathy for them because if someone gets jealous, I know that they're actually caught and they're suffering. And so I have a lot of empathy for people who actually experience jealousy and I try to be very kind to them. Is jealousy always linked to wounding? Why would it be linked to wounding? Do you think I can desensitize myself to being betrayed by letting it happen again and again until nothing moves in me? The only way that you can be okay with betrayal is if you undo the belief systems that people shouldn't betray you. You see, if you uh, have a belief system that people shouldn't betray you and there's an expectation attached to that belief system, when the expectation is not met, you're likely to contract, go into resistance. The only way to stop that that I know is to undo the belief system. And so I, I recall 30, 40 years ago, I started undoing that particular belief system. I found that the truth is people do betray. It's human nature to betray. And me thinking they shouldn't was in fact me being out of touch with the reality of the world I lived in. And so <clears throat> I removed the belief system. People do betray and it's actually okay. And because from my perspective, it's okay, nothing goes into resistance, nothing contracts. And so I don't create suffering for myself through that contraction and resistance because the belief systems around betrayal have been undone. I get very disappointed in myself after I have been jealous. I thought I was more spiritually advanced but that feeling still comes back from time to time. Is there a way to completely eliminate jealousy? Yeah, wake up. Become enlightened. It works really well. Because when you're awake, there is no more jealousy. There is no more anger. There is no more fear. It is all gone. It all belongs to the mind and has nothing to do with you because you're living as presence, you're living as beingness. You really want to get free, wake up. That's what works. That's what these meetings are about. They're for people who want to wake up. They're for people who want to get free. They're for seekers of truth and wisdom. I find myself feeling jealous of my friend's spiritual experiences or awakenings. How can I be okay with me just the way I am? Is that jealousy or is that envy? It sounds a little bit more like envy. And if you support envy, it grows like any other monster that you feed. If you don't support it, it atrophies. It's up to you. If you insist on feeding it, you're going to suffer. But that's your doing, nobody else's. If you don't feed it, if you don't support it, it atrophies. The next question is, when my husband stays longer at work or goes out with his friends, I find myself sometimes feeling jealous and wishing I had more time with him. How can I be okay with being on my own? 
as your consciousness levels rise, you recognize really clearly that you are responsible for your reality. In other words, if you're suffering, you know that you've caused that suffering, not the world, not your partner, not existence, but you. And so you don't support that suffering by actually not supporting anything that contracts you, anything that brings resistance in you. If your partner's dying at work and not coming home, you find a way to accept it. You don't whinge to yourself about it and hurt yourself because you're jealous that they're at work and they're not with you. That's you hurting yourself for no reason whatsoever. And there's no positive outcome to that, only a negative outcome. You're creating your reality as misery, but you're doing it to you, not your partner being at work. If you were an acceptance of that, you wouldn't be suffering. Your choice. You're creating your reality. Be careful what you choose. Do I have to overcome all jealousy in me before I can get enlightened? <laughs> How about just practicing acceptance until you've mastered the mind and it can surrender? You see, a mind that can surrender, which is basically non-doing, will support enlightenment. A mind that is constantly resisting life isn't going to support enlightenment, isn't even going to support higher consciousness. It's actually going to support lower consciousness. Stop resisting. Stop supporting resistance. And people say, well, I haven't got a choice. Of course you've got a choice. We are not helpless in this situation. We can support uh, openness, we can support acceptance, or we can support resistance and closure and defendedness. Our choice. Choose wisely. The next question is from a viewer. When you speak about not supporting jealousy, are you saying to ignore it? And if so, how to do this when it is so painful? Be okay with pain. Life is painful for all human beings and our relationship to pain is going to dictate how we live in a lot of ways. If we can't be okay with pain, we're going to be constantly avoiding it. And if we're constantly avoiding pain, we've just set ourselves up as escape artists who are never ever going to heal the wounds of our heart because we can't handle the discomfort. Life is painful from time to time. And if we can make it okay, we can heal the wounds of our heart and we can get through anything. But if all we do is use the myriad of escape methodologies that we've probably developed over a lifetime, that's what we'll die as, a master escape artist. You want to get free, you got to stop running. you got to start being tenderly okay with whatever appears. This is acceptance. This is the key to learning surrender. This is the key to higher consciousness the practice of acceptance. The next question is, uh, my jealousy is a huge problem in my relationship. I find myself enraged very quickly. How can I stop this as it's causing many problems in my relationship? See, what you're trying to tell me is that you can't control it. And I don't buy that for one second because I know that you're the one that is supporting the jealousy with your thought patterns. Nobody's doing it to you. Your partner's not doing it to you. You're doing it to you and you are not helpless. You're setting yourself up by asking that question as someone who's helpless. I don't buy that for a second. Not for a second do I buy that. You are not helpless. You're the one who's doing the reacting and you're the one that's either feeding that reaction or not with your support. Stop supporting it. It's that simple. Stop supporting it. How can I transform negative emotions like anger or jealousy into something that's not so destructive? Could you slow down and read that again? You read it too fast for me. 
how can I transform negative emotions like anger or jealousy into something that's not so destructive? See, it comes back to the same answer I've been giving to a lot of the questions. You're responsible for supporting anger. You're res responsible for supporting jealousy. Usually both of them have blame involved. Well, you're the one supplying the blame. You're the one supplying the story. You're in charge of that story. What's happening is happening, but you're the one creating the story about it and supporting it. You have complete control if you want complete control, or you can be helpless and be a victim. Whatever we support grows. So if we support anger with blame, it grows. We support jealousy with blame, it also grows. But that's because of our support, not because we're out of control, but because we're supporting something. Stop supporting it. I'm having trouble understanding why some people attract others that ultimately betray them. If we create our relationships consciously, why is that the experience of betrayal? Because it's human nature to betray. It's animal nature to betray as well. I've, I've, got, <laughs> I've got a couple of, I've got three dogs at the moment, three little dogs, little dogs. And they betray each other constantly, especially over food. <laughs> it's human nature for human beings to betray. The people who don't betray have gone to higher consciousness. They don't betray because they're conscious enough to realize what they're doing and they don't want to be involved in hurting anyone. But in lower consciousness, betrayal is common. But it only is common because it's supported. In high consciousness, it's simply not supported. The next question is, I feel my husband's relationship to his parents to be excessively attached. I feel displaced. I have a feeling of resentment and non-acceptance towards them. How can I shift this? Could you read the question again? And could you read it slowly, please? It's like your speed reading and uh, I prefer you to go slower. Thank you. Sorry. I feel my husband's relationship to his parents to be excessively attached. I feel displaced. I have a feeling of resentment and non-acceptance towards them. How can I shift this? <laughs> oh dear. So it sounds like there's a little bit of envy or jealousy of the parents and the relationship that your partner has with them. What about including them in your life instead of rejecting them? What about welcoming them instead of uh, rejecting them. What about you actually joining him instead of you insisting on him joining you in abandoning his relationship with his parents? It's so funny. People think that's love. You know, love's inclusive. It includes everyone and everything. Love just loves. It's very beautiful. But the mind wants to create separation, wants to protect itself, wants to keep itself separate wants to guard its own little patch. And in so doing so, quite often we'll call that love, but that's nothing to do with love. Not a, not a thing to do with love because love just loves. This idea of owning someone else's time, owning their sexuality, owning who they talk to, wow, that's out there. That's not love. That's manipulation and control to make yourself feel safe. And love doesn't operate like that. Love just loves. Why don't you try loving? That would require that you open up, take down your defenses, and start with acceptance of how your husband is with his parents. The next question is, is there a certain degree of jealousy, natural in, and healthy in a relationship? Well, 
I see jealousy as natural. I don't see it as healthy. I see it as a destructive force that can either be supported or not supported. I don't see it as healthy. I feel that people who support jealousy in their lives, generally speaking, burn bridges rather than build them. If we're talking higher consciousness, this would definitely be one of the obstacles in the way of higher consciousness. The support of jealousy is a support of an obstacle that is in the way of higher consciousness. And you're the one that will either support it or not support it, it is up to you. So if you actually are supporting jealousy, you're supporting yourself in lower consciousness. The next question is, what are the main reasons for jealousy? So what I'd like you to do is slow down and ask the question slowly. There is no race here. I don't know what your hurry is. I don't know if you're panicking. I don't know what's going on with you. But can you please slow down and ask the question slowly? There is no race here. Sure, sorry. What are the main reasons for jealousy? I pretty much covered the answer to that already. It's actually a primal program to protect the species that arises to protect the offspring so the species survives. It's natural. It's just that it keeps people locked in lower consciousness. So it's a very bad idea to support it because we're into high consciousness here. We're not into lower consciousness. Identifying jealousy for what it is, is a good idea. So you don't get caught in it. It's an obstacle. The next question is from a viewer who says, Hi Vishrant, I'm so sorry. I don't understand the difference between envy and jealousy. Are you able to explain the difference again? I don't understand the difference very well either. I just know that I won't support any of it. I remember when I was a teenager, there was all these really um, <clears throat> super powerful cars out. And uh, I, re I refused to go and look at them because I didn't want to be envious. I didn't want to want something that I couldn't actually afford to have. So I just simply didn't go and ogle at them. And uh, I, it was, I was already looking at envy at a, at a young age, probably about 18 or 17, realizing that envy uh, just makes you feel dissatisfied. And so I wouldn't put myself into a position where I'd feel envious. I just refused to look at things that uh, I couldn't afford to buy at that stage, because that was my maturity level at that stage. And, uh, the, and jealousy was a, one of those things that I came across pretty quickly when I was a teenager. Uh, and I saw the destructiveness of it. And I pondered it for, at, a, at great length, recognizing that it was one of those things in my life that I never, ever, ever wanted to support because it was just too dangerous to support. It is just too destructive. So jealousy was, for me, was when my partner decided to like someone else. Envy was when... Uh, I wanted something I couldn't have and someone else had it like a, a powerful motor car. But describing the difference between jealousy and envy, really that's not my job. My job is to say, don't get caught in either of them. Do not support jealousy. Do not support envy. Unless of course you want to hurt yourself and then it's your prerogative to do so. But if you're interested in higher consciousness, you've got to look at both jealousy and envy as obstacles in the way of higher consciousness. Is it okay to use envy as a motivator to achieve something like make more money to buy a nicer car? No. <laughs> Why would you want to use something that takes you into lower consciousness for anything? It's like, if you're into higher consciousness, you don't use uh, motivators that take you into lower consciousness to, to succeed. That's crazy. If you're into higher consciousness, you do everything towards higher consciousness. 
unless you want to stay in lower consciousness. But if you have a good look around, if you open your eyes and watch, lower consciousness is really where people suffer. They just run true to unconscious default patterns that create suffering in themselves. The beauty of going for higher consciousness is you can get out of that. You can change the way you are. You can live a different life, be a different person, not suffer anywhere near as much. And if you go for super consciousness, end suffering. Find freedom as living as presence instead of living as an I. That's the quest, the quest of the seeker, to know self as presence, to know self as pure awareness, aware of itself. Sometimes I don't feel worthwhile and I feel very needy in my relationships. How can I stop feeling like this? Right. So that has nothing to do with the subject of jealousy, which means you may have run out of questions on the subject of jealousy, which I'm really happy about because it's a terrible subject. <laughs> it's really, it's really simple. You're either supported or you don't support it. If you support it, you hurt yourself and you'll probably hurt others. If you don't support it, well, you won't suffer. It's up to you. But now we've changed horses. We have a brand new subject. <laughs> which brings me back to my favorite subject, the way of the heart. If you really want to raise your consciousness levels, support heart. And in support of heart, you're supporting openness in yourself. You're taking down your defense systems and you're walking through the world in a vulnerable way. This is the way of the heart. And this will be, enable you to perceive love. And when you perceive love, your mind will be effect, affected in such a way that it will want to take care of everyone and everything. And this is beautiful. This is a way to live life. I see this as a Buddhist way to live life. Because Buddhism is really not about worshipping anything. It's actually a way of life towards higher consciousness. And the best way in the marketplace that I know to do that is the way of the heart. But you have to do something. You have to remove the obstacles that are in the way. And they just happen to be all your defense systems and all your closures. And that's going to be up to you to do. And so some people say there's work to do. Yeah, well, that's the work. Just taking away all the stuff that's been put in there that's in the way. A little bit like uh, a great undoing or reverse engineering yourself until you're free of all that stuff, until you can fly. All your defense systems make you so heavy you can't fly. All your closes make you so heavy you can't fly. Your choice. You're the one creating your reality. <laughs> Uh, so sometimes I don't feel worthwhile and I feel needy in my relationships. How do I stop feeling like this? Ah, well, you, if you're not feeling worthwhile, it means you're not uh, accepting yourself as you are. When you're in acceptance of yourself as you are, you feel worthwhile. The fact that you're saying that you feel that you're not worthwhile would indicate that you're not in full acceptance of yourself which is the foundation to higher consciousness. And that's going to be up to you. <laughs> you want to stop feeling like that? Well, you've got to actually find a way to accept yourself as you are. Find a way to love yourself as you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly of you. Only you can do that. You can stop feeling like that by doing drugs and alcohol and maybe going to the fridge and eating too much food or becoming a doaholic. There's lots of ways you can stop feeling it, but if you want to stop it completely, well, how about accepting yourself as you are and become self-nourishing? That's the healthy way to go about it. It's also the road to high consciousness. Next, Kalimba would like to ask a question. Hi, Kalimba. 
Hello, Vishrant. What a terrible subject they picked for me today. That's what I thought. And when you were going to change the subject, I thought, oh, thank goodness for that. <laughs> really, really. But look, I just had one. It just brought up a memory for me. I don't seem to have much issue with jealousy or envy. I can't remember when I last did. But it reminded me of when I was a little boy. I was born two years before the end of the war. Now, my father was in the Merchant Navy. He was present at my birth and then he was back to sea and I didn't see much of him for over two years. At the end of the war, my mum rejoined him in Calcutta, which is where his company was based. But because they were worried about torpedoes and U-boats, she decided not to take me. So I was left with my grandma when I was like two years old. And I went through a lot of stuff with that. And then my brother was born when I was six. And he got all the attention, the loving, whatever that I appeared or I felt that I hadn't got. And it really affected my relationship with him for quite a long time. I was always jealous of him. I saw him as a spoilt little brat. <laughs> But looking back, I just realized that that was, I can understand why I felt like that. But this, as you say, you have to look at it, accept it, and just let it go. So you must be 77. Exactly right. Ah, you old fellow, you. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be interrupting. <laughs> oh, Kalimba. Yeah, uh, civil rivalry. Yeah, I rem look. I, apparently, my uh, brother under myself is two and a half years younger. His name's Chris, and uh, when my mum brought him home from hospital, I've been informed that my first words about him were "take him back." <laughs> <laughs> mm. So it occurs. It's it's natural to occur. Jealousy is natural. Envy is natural. It's just that as our consciousness levels rise, we just don't have to support it. That's all. Yeah. I, was, I think it was a difficult time back then. And I had abandoned my dishes for quite a long time. But eventually I was doing, I think it was with Lena Christina Tulsa. I was doing a workshop and came to face all the abandonment issues, allowed them, felt the pain of them, and then was able to let them go. Uh-huh. Yeah, some of the uh, some of the encounter groups are really good. You get to encounter yourself and set yourself free. I think we're very lucky. There's there's been some lovely people around. Like, uh, do you know Nakunu Nakunu Larson? Yeah, I met Nakunu twenty twenty odd years ago. I think twenty one years ago. Now he came to my he came to my house. Oh, it's funny I, when you mention somebody from. Was it Norway or Denmark? I thought, I wonder if that's Nukunu. No, no, I was talking about someone, uh, one of Osho's people has set up uh, himself in Norway and holds satsang there. I can't at this moment remember his name. Right. Mm. I've never met him. It's not somebody I know, but I do know Nukunu. Nukunu. Yeah. On a slightly different topic, but just a quickie. Um, this silent um, retreat you're doing, uh, are there any are any of the people coming up to Rolly Stone to do it, or is it only online? It's only online, mate. Okay, thanks. The uh, look, since the coronavirus, everything's everything's changed, and most of what we're doing now is online. And I do hold hold private meetings, but they're for people that have been with me for a long time. Um, I would probably include you in that group because I've known you forever. So if you wanted to contact me privately and have a chat about it, I'll have a chat to you about it. All right, mate. Thanks a lot. Okay. Next, Emma would like to ask a question. Hello, Emma. Good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm lovely. Thanks, Emma. <laughs> It's just a default answer, <laughs> a default question. Yeah. Um, I actually look because, you know, you, people say, how are you? And I have to look and I just can't <laughs> find here. There's an absence. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I go, well, there's a feeling here and the feeling is lovely. So I'll say I'm lovely. Yep. Yep. 
that's pretty much what I want to know. What's alive in you? Yeah, well, the eye dropped a long time ago, 20, 20 years ago, just dropped. The story of Vishrant just dropped. So there's presence here, but there's nobody really thinking here. And there's no sense of someone being here. People think that they're here all the time as an eye, but the truth is a lot of the time you're not there as an eye. You're just there, you know. Mm -hmm. But someone who's awake, they actually have awareness on awareness. So they're actually a living as presence. And so the Buddha is not a human being. The Buddha is the presence. Awareness mm -hmm. aware of itself. A lovely so, way of looking at it. So the Buddha is the same in, in, in any human that has awakening occur, ongoing awakening is the same. It's the same presence, the same presence, because we're all one. There's no two different types of presence. It's always the same presence. Mm. I, so I wanted to... I wanted to ask you to talk on the game of zero ah, a little bit more. The game of zero. I started playing the game of zero in the 80s. Mm. That's a long time ago. That's before you were born. Yes, indeed. <laughs> the game of zero worked really simply. If I'm really, really, really relaxed and really calm and my mind is really calm, I considered that zero, right? Yep, yep. And any time I went above zero, I was interested in getting back to zero. So say someone would upset me and I'd go above zero and get go into some sort of attention or closure. My, the game of zero dictated that I get back to zero as quick as possible. Now, to do that, I had to usually undo belief systems that were supporting the contraction, supporting the resistance. But the game of zero became more important to me than whatever else I was involved in. And, and nobody knew. No one knew I was playing the game of zero, which is a spiritual practice because it's the practice of openness. And I played the game of zero for um, oh, 20 years, I think. And, and it, it allowed me to develop a mind that stayed equanimous, level because anything that took me above zero was removed. Whatever belief systems were involved, they were removed, they were undone. It's a cool game and nobody, it's a spiritual game and nobody needs to know you're practicing it. I see you've gone, you've disappeared, Emma. You've gone into the ether. Wow, that was a pretty powerful talk. Just made her disappear completely. <laughs> Uh, while we wait for Emma to come back, uh, we have a question. Why would we, would we be waiting for Emma to come back? She's gone. I, I think she dropped out. Only now. Yeah. <laughs> and she's not here now. No. Uh, so we have a question. Uh, you talk about putting truth first. Would you put truth before your relationship? Heck yeah. Look, if you're interested in waking up, you can't put anything before truth. Your mind puts truth first. It surrenders unconditionally to truth. That is putting truth first. That is what supports enlightenment, nothing less. If you put anything before truth, you get to live as that. And the complications around that. Someone who's awake has put truth first, they've surrendered, unconditionally surrendered. How did you navigate painful moments in your life, like being betrayed or abandoned without creating suffering? Depends on what age you're talking at, you know, um, different ages as a as I grew through my teenage years, my consciousness levels rose and, and through my 20s, they rose more. And then through my 30s, they rose more. And so at different levels of my life, um, emotional pain was dealt with in different ways. I mean, I, like everybody else, I was, uh, as a teenager, I was pretty volatile with it, you know, because I didn't have uh, high consciousness levels. And so I got caught in emotionality a fair bit, particularly anger. Uh, but that was because my consciousness levels were so low. As they, as they rose, I got caught less and less and less in anything and became very accepting. 
of uh, the touches that life offered as just part of life. I've heard you talk about developing a good relationship with pain. Why is that important for a seeker? Because life is painful and if you don't have a reasonably good relationship with it, you're going to spend your life escaping. Whether that's through drugs, legal or otherwise, or alcohol, or uh, becoming a food addict or a gambler or a workaholic, a doaholic. Um, there's so many ways that we can avoid uh, the pains of life or we can learn to accept and be okay with. As a matter of fact, to be tenderly okay with. And then the addictions don't matter anymore because they don't drive us anymore. The addictions are only there because we have a sense of pain quite often created by a sense of separation. But as you become more and more whole in yourself, more accepting of yourself, more self-nourishing, there's less reason to run away from what's inside of you. You develop a relationship with pain that is one of okayness instead of one of let's get out of here. But you've got to remember that our primal programming is to avoid discomfort and, and, and uh, chase pleasure. That's our primal programming, which is a survival mechanism. And so someone who's actually healed the wounds of their heart has actually gone against the survival mechanism because they've been okay with pain. They've allowed themselves to feel it. And in feeling our wounding, we heal it. As long as we're escaping from it or trying to, we're just keeping it intact. We're just keeping the pain body intact. So it comes back to ultimately doing nothing. In other words, stop escaping because all escaping is doing. And then everything leaves. Then you get healed. Life's painful for everybody. It's best to be okay with it. It's best to not use escape methodologies. You're creating your reality. It's up to you. The next question is from a viewer. Is low self-worth a mirror version of jealousy, feeling that you're not as good as others and wishing you were? No, I don't think so. Jealousy is a primal program for survival. Low self-worth is actually created. I don't think we're born with low self-worth at all. I think it's created by uh, developing an internal critic that judges ourselves as less than. I think they're two very different things. One's a primal program for the protection of the species and the other is basically damage. The next question is, I'm trying to perform small acts of kindness each day, but I notice sometimes I get upset when they're not reciprocated, especially by those that are closest to me. What do I do when I notice I'm keeping score? Well, you're trying to be a giver, but you're still a taker because you're wanting something back. You know, and the, the whole idea of being a giver is you, you're not trying to get something back. That's not giving, that's taking still. If you want to do these little acts of kindness, do them from a place of giving, not a place of taking. You're missing the boat on this. Giving <laughs> is very different than taking. <laughs> Maybe you should have a look at how your mind's operating. Develop a silent witness so you can see it, see it clearly. Are you giving or are you taking? You see, if we're truly giving, we're not wanting anything back. We're just giving. If we're wanting something back, it means that we're taking. We just—it's a business deal of some kind. You know, I give you this, I want something back. Not really giving, is it? And next, Arun would like to ask a question. Ah, Arun. Hello, Vish. You've changed your name. You're now Arun Siva. 
Oh yes, I um, I think I s- registered by my phone instead of my laptop when ah. I did it this morning. So it must so, use. So Shiva is short for Shiva, isn't it? Yeah. So my um, my last name is Siva Kumar. S I V A, and then Kumar. What is What is what does Kumar mean? Um, I actually don't know, but you you were right in the instance of saying Siva was another way of saying Shiva. Yeah. Well, that's an energy form that's really like. Whoosh. Yeah. Supposedly, it's supposedly Shiva has multiple different uh, persona is not the word. I guess forms, and one of them, you know, there's Shiva the d- dancer, there's Shiva the destroyer, there's Shiva which represents think- the um, dimension of nothingness. The destroyer, the destroyer of illusion. Yes. That's the that's my favorite one. <laughs> and everything you think is uh, an illusion. Yeah. Uh-huh. Maya. <laughs> Maya, yeah. My my question today is based on my observation of what's been going on for me. So when I am in uh, so when I can tap into that ambient awareness around me and it, the boundary almost blurs into this sort of witnessing state, but it, so, it, so let's just say it's this ambient awareness state. I notice that when I don't need to do anything, it's very easy to be in that state. And when I'm pulled into action, I can stay in ambient awareness but it takes a, a lot more effort but I can do it but then I noticed that there are very specific things that almost draw me straight out of it and the specific things that I've noticed are one um, having conversation having like dialogue with people unless I'm extremely focused on being fully there I just quickly get sucked into the conversation and then I lose myself in the conversation so I guess I become unconscious so that's one two to continue on the the thing of sport that I always speak to you about I notice now the more I play sport I focus on that ambient awareness and it's really wonderful but then without actually noticing it I get sucked into the game and then I'm not aware of what I'm doing I'm just my body is doing Um, so that's another one and then I forget what the third one was. There was a third instance, but they all all revolve around this fact that I can stay ambient, but then some something when it comes to the doing of action draws me out of it. So my question is, as I practice more, does that slowly go away? Or what is the experience for a sage like you? Can you be completely there and still do fully? Pretty much but I don't have a problem with outcome and you do your, your, your outcome focused. So you, you lose ambient awareness because there's a future projection somewhere, possibly fear-based in sport and also in conversations with people. You're being careful because there's a future outcome. There's some kind of outcome. I'm not future orientated, so I don't, I'm not outcome orientated, so I don't really care about the result. I just talk or I just do in the world and the result either happens or it doesn't happen. It's not something that I'm uh, that interested in. I'm just involved in the doing in the moment rather than any future projection of safety or success. Yeah, yeah that definitely resonates. Mm. Can I ask a follow-up question? Because I was trying to find the... Uh, this is what I always do. Whenever I have a question, I try and find the answer on the internet. <laughs> it goes a bit awry sometimes. But I usually go to um, Osho's website. Or more recently, I found this um, other man who is in from India. Who also His name is um, Acharya Prashant. But basically, his website says that he is a master as well. And so I was looking for an answer to this question. And it... I was, I happened to find his website and he says that when you're in the witnessing state, you're not paying um, attention to any one particular thing. So he says, you know, he was speaking to a, um, 
a classroom of children and he was saying that the child, the student who is attentive to the whole moment may not actually have, when he leaves the classroom, if someone asks the student, what did the teacher say? He might not actually be able to tell you what the teacher said because he was fully attentive to the room, you know, the birds chirping outside the room, the feeling, the, the, the energy in the room. And so he might not, because he wasn't concentrating, he won't be able to tell you the teacher said this, this and this but he was fully there. Whereas a different student might be able to tell you exactly what the teacher said, but they weren't actually um, any closer to higher consciousness because they weren't in that ambient awareness. So is that true or is that not true? What would you say? You just described my existence. <laughs> so if that's true, then, then, if, you, if I'm truly present to the moment and I'm talking to someone, then wouldn't I not even be hearing what they're saying or processing what they're saying? Because you, you actually talk reasonably for a long time, um, you're lucky that I can answer you because I'm a little bit like that kid in the classroom who has ambient awareness <laughs> of the birds and everything else. Because uh, my mind is so relaxed, it doesn't it doesn't concentrate, it doesn't focus, it is ambiently aware. There is just a witness witnessing everything. And this is the pathway to higher consciousness. Uh, and because of that, I do, I, I'm, I do miss things. There's no doubt that my acumen in the business world is not as good as it used to be because I'm not focused like I used to be. I am ambient and it's very beautiful to be ambient because it's very relaxed, mm -hmm. but it's only in relaxation that we raise our consciousness levels. We do not raise our consciousness levels in tension. Mm. And so I got, I, when I applied for Sanyas with Osho Rajneesh, I think it was 1982 or something like that. I wrote to Rajneesh Osho and said, look, I've got this business acumen. I could come to your ranch. I could help you run the show. And I was so arrogant. I was so arrogant. And I got this name back, Vishrat, which means relax. Mm. It, was a, it was a little hit. <laughs> and uh, I recognized it as a sadhana. In other words, uh, a lesson or a teaching that what I needed to do to raise my consciousness levels was learn how to be restful or relaxed because it can mean restful as well. And I had a prefix, it was prem, which means love. And so mm. my aim as a sannyasin was to find restful love in myself. And for all those going for higher consciousness, it's the same deal. Finding our mind to be restful in love is the is the way to higher consciousness. We can't actually do it academically through analysis. We can only do it through relaxation and surrender. And with love, we can surrender in love. Yeah. Oh dear. Because I, I know that you're quite academic and there's nothing wrong with that, but really it'll only take you so far. It yeah. is. It is actually love or the love of truth or the love of love from the mind's perspective that takes you all away because it's in that love that you surrender unconditionally and wake up. Yeah. I mean, I've, the more, the more down this road I go, I certainly find that I think as I say to you, you know, when I speak to you, I find I enjoy the time when I can sit and be quiet or just, you know, rest in kind of a quietfulness. But as I try and extend that into the time periods when, you know, for now I'm required to use my mind, um, it just doesn't extend into that very well. And I either miss a lot of things or, you know, like you said, sometimes information that I'm, I'm meant to have picked up on, I don't. And so then I think to myself, well, you know, part of me reads some of these things that says that you should make it a 24 seven practice of awareness. But then I think to myself, when I'm doing that, I miss a lot of the things that I, for lack of a better way of saying it need to do for now in the day to day practical world, you know, so I can 
earn a living and things like that. So then I think, should I just create separate time for meditation and separate time for unawareness? And that just sounds stupid even saying it. So it's a bit of a... This is not tricky at all, all, Arun. You get a phone, like an iPhone, and what you do is you you get a calendar happening and you have alarms on it and you make it so. And it works well. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I don't rely on my memory. I I can't be bothered. I, I rely, I have... I have people tell me what when, when it's time to do things, and I have a phone that tells me. I don't. I don't like living in my head at all. Full stop. Yeah, it's, it's certainly concentrating now. Feels I can really feel the tension with it, which and previously I could never feel the tension with having to focus and concentrate on things. No, well, it was your pattern. It's what we all did at school. We learned how to focus and concentrate, and unfortunately, most people die that way. They never learn to relax. Yeah. Arun, it is time for me to go now. Absolutely. I'll be seeing you very shortly tomorrow, I believe. Yep. Yes, most definitely. Thank you for setting. Good to see you, Bravehearts, here today.